need that, can you give the Lord some praise today? Oh, if you can praise Him in the wilderness, give Him some praise today. Come on, if you're facing adversity today, can you still praise Him? Are you facing sickness today? Can you still praise Him? Hallelujah, He's still worthy. He's still worthy today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your name, glory to your name. Isn't He wonderful? Amen. My circumstance does not determine my level of praise, or it should not. A true saint of God, you should never be able to detect what they're going through by their praise. Because if anything, we should praise God more when we're going through things. Truly the song is correct. His glory is the same in the wilderness as it is on any mountaintop. I can promise you that as you get older in life and you reflect on the greatest times in your walk with God, it's not the mountaintop. The greatest moments in your life are the most difficult. You look back and say, God was with me the whole way. God stood by me. He got me through. I don't know how I made it. I should have, I should have collapsed. I should have been defeated. I should have walked away, but thank God He kept me and I didn't. Thank God He was there and that was the greatest moment. Amen. It is so good to see each of you in the house of the Lord today. What a wonderful presence of God we feel. This afternoon, starting at 4 o'clock, is our annual Fuquay Christmas Parade in our children's ministry. They have a beautiful float and uh, volunteers and our Candy Cane Lane staff is going to be on the float going through the middle of Fuquay. Thousands of people uh, will probably for the very first time find out about you today. About you today. We've got banners on the both, both sides, really huge banners on both sides with a QR code linking it straight to our church website. And so I'm believing before the end of the day, thousands of people will go online and watch a church service and say, man, you know what? I could use some of that right there. I need to go check that out. And uh, all of our wonderful children's ministry up there, beautiful Holy Ghost smiles, volunteers walking alongside the parade, handing out candy canes and candy. And we've got sandwich boards people are walking along the float with sandwich boards with information about the church on them qr codes and so today more people will find out about our church in just a few hours maybe than in the history of our church today's a great day if you really believe that our community needs what you feel here today that ought to be something that excites you that ought to be something that you can get behind that i'm excited about that I thank our children's ministry for all of their work and preparation leading up to next Sunday morning and next Saturday night as well. Only in North Carolina can you have a Wednesday night Bible study where it's 31 degrees and then Sunday morning it's 91. Only in North Carolina. Where are the knobs at on the thermostats in North Carolina? You just never know. Never know. Amen. We're so glad you're here today. Let's pray over God's word and then I'll have you be seated and I'll get to our reading of our text in just a few moments. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. I pray your anointing upon the delivery of the word. Your word is already anointed. Help me to communicate that word today. And even in this Christmas season, may there be somebody today challenged, strengthened. God, in all of the festivities, the formalities, may something spiritually impactful happen today through your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody say amen. God bless you. Before you're seated, I've got one praise report. I like catching you halfway down. Isn't that awesome? I did that on purpose. No, I didn't, but I'll do it more often now. That works so good. 
Brother Bobby texted me this morning. He was not feeling well, not able to be here today, but he said, Pastor, if you could just, I've got a unique praise report. Just give the church a praise report, not for what God has done, but what I just feel like he's about to do. And I said, man, I like that praise report. And so how many believe that God should be praised before he even does it? Before he even does it. God bless you. You may be seated for real this time. Nebuchadnezzar, the second king of Babylon, married Ametes. And out of this marriage came one of the most significant gifts that anyone has ever received. We are in the gift-giving season, and as I began to think about some significant gifts given through history, a few came to mind. Nebuchadnezzar II, when he married Ametes, it was a marriage between two lands. Since queen lived in a green and beautiful land with temperate weather and after getting married, entering into Babylon, which was unlike her fatherland, this was not pleasant. This was not green. Where she had to live now didn't look like anything that she came from, and so this was not a place that necessarily reminded her of home. And so when she married Nebuchadnezzar II, she grew ill and was homesick. And so the king of Babylon decided to make his queen happy. He built large halls and gardens with stepped form, full of his wife's favorite plants and flowers in a way that the plants and trees appeared hanging and suspended, a masterpiece consisting of the art of building architecture and structural engineering and the combination of that and gardening. And this, the hanging gardens, became known as one of the seven wonders of the world. And it was a gift from a man to his wife. Gentlemen, you know you have scored well at Christmas when you give a gift that ultimately becomes one of the seven wonders of the world. That's, that's not an ironing board. That's not a treadmill. That's a good gift right there. Yeah. Then I went on to think about some other gifts that were given, even long after the recipient was gone. 20,000 artists contributed in the next gift. One of the most famous monuments in the world. It's beautiful. It's a majestic, and yet it's a tomb in South India in the capital of Delhi. According to the historical legends, this monument was built by order of Shah Jahan, the fifth emperor. And it was a gift and a memorial to his Iranian wife. She died during a war trip while giving birth to her 14th child. Give birth to 14 children. You deserve a good Christmas. And so this later became known as the Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal. When you give your wife the Taj Mahal for Christmas, you've done pretty well. Then I think of one of the largest, most significant diamonds in the world. It was found under a dry riverbed in India in 1656 and was given as a gift. This diamond was originally 793 carats. I think about brother and sister Martinez, who we welcome back. This isn't their first service back, but it's the first time I've had an opportunity to welcome brother and sister Martinez, Josh and Alexis Martinez, back to the church family today after their recent marriage. And I think about this diamond and what it must be like to be the woman who walks around with 793 carats. You can't fit that on your finger. That's going to have to go. You're going to carry that behind in a backpack. Now, that's a gift.
That's a memorial, monumental gift. And lastly today, as I was thinking about gifts, how could we not talk about significant gifts and not talk about the one presented by the French to the United States in 1886? As a gift and a symbol of friendship between two nations on the occasion of the 100th anniversary of the American independence from Britain. This 46-meter-high Statue of Liberty was built by the French architect, Frederick Bartholdi, and began in 1875 and ended in 1884. This beautiful gift was sent to the United States in 350 separate pieces and was built on Liberty Island in New York Harbor to be a symbol of America and to welcome travelers coming to the New York by sea. That's a pretty good gift right there. I've received a few gifts in my life, but I've never received a gift of that magnitude. And yet, on the cusp of this Christmas season, and I refuse to admit we're quite there yet. I know we're right there. But as we're nearing the gift-giving season, now we're just in the gift-getting season. We're getting the gift-giving season shortly all of these, as significant and as wonderful and as expensive as they are, they are overshadowed by even the greatest gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And this is my favorite part because it was a surprise gift which none of the princes of this world knew. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This was such a gift that 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 17 says, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. When you get a gift that you can't even talk about, have you ever gotten a gift you were almost embarrassed to tell somebody that you got it? I don't mean in a bad way. <laughs> I mean in a good way. Like you didn't feel worthy of it. Like they spent too much. The Bible says when we think about the gift of God and what He has granted us and what He has given us, thanks be unto God for His. You aren't going to believe it. It's incredible, unspeakable gift. Today I want to preach to you just for preach to you for a few minutes on this. God's great surprise. God's great surprise. If I were to ask you today to give me the equal opposite of the following things, this is audience participation time. I'm going to ask you to give me the opposite of something, and then you can give me the answer. If I were to say, what is the opposite of left? What would the answer be? Up. Well, look at you guys, pure geniuses out there. Light. There you go. Devil. Uh-oh. Ooh, Lord have mercy. Uh-oh. Wrong. If you said God. Satan is a created being. He shares none of the attributes of, attributes of Almighty God. Peter, like, that'd be the last time I say anything when the pastor asked me. I ain't gonna say amen anymore. He doesn't share the same attributes as God. He is not the same as God. He is not equal to God. He's not on the same level as God. I'll tell you today, he is not omniscient, all-knowing. He is not omnipresent everywhere. He is not omnipotent, all-powerful. Meaning, the devil is limited in knowledge. He is limited in space. He is limited in power. We give him too much credit. When it comes to predicting what God is going to do next, Satan has no idea. In fact, 
trying to determine what God is going to do next. Satan has to rely on what he can figure out, what he can remember from his timeless past when he lived in heaven as the favored angel. And what he reads about in Holy Scripture. So him trying to determine what God's going to do, he has to rely on the past, what's already written down, past experience, but he has no more knowledge about what God's going to do next than the average person. And since the Holy Ghost does not enlighten his understanding, Satan sees as the world sees, not with the mind of Christ. You know more about what God's going to do next than he does. Why? Because his view can be described in Ephesians chapter 4 and 8 for 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. He doesn't know what God's going to do next. He doesn't have a clue about what God's got up his sleeve. He has no idea what God is planning to do. And so it is with everyone that is influenced or led or controlled by a carnal mentality. If for no other reason you ought to serve God, walk in the Spirit, and do what's right because you see things everybody else don't see. You know things everybody else don't know. You have the discernment and the ability and the mind of God to know things that others do not know. You like knowing things others don't know. You ought to walk with God. You like being that person that has a secret that nobody else knows about. That one gift under the tree, you know what's in it. And you just giggle when they try to guess it. And then when they get close, you get mad and run out of the room. If you like that, if you like inside information, if you like knowing what's going on when others don't know what's going on, you ought to serve God because you have the mind of God. You can walk in the Spirit and have discernment and you know things about God that the devil don't know. And once we understand this, it's like a hundred pieces of the puzzle start falling into place. It's such a powerful and an incredible concept. The Apostle Paul pointed out that Satan, if he knew what God was up to, he would have never crucified him. But God literally pulled the wool over his eyes and made a fool out of him in front of the whole world. On that first Easter Sunday morning, as that little devil rushed into the presence of the satanic majesty, Interrupting hell's celebration over the death of Jesus. The demon, I can imagine, breathlessly announced that we got a problem. The tomb is empty. The body is gone. And the soldiers look like they've seen a ghost. Something is not right. The music stopped. Everyone looked nervously around as Satan probably cursed through a tantrum and hurled a champagne glass across the room. He knew in that moment, I've been had. He had played right into God's hands and was defeated. Sometimes in biblical history, we see the Lord manipulating Satan to actually act in the way he desires for him to act. Examples of that would be the case of Job. The devil was like, oh, you let me get to him. I promise you he'll curse God. He'll turn his back on you. He don't love you. He said, let me have him. The devil said, I mean, God said, all right, you asked for it. And so Job went through all that we know that he went through. But then at the end of the story, Job had twice as much as he started out with. And God's like, I tried to tell you, you ain't that bright. I warned you, but you said that's what you wanted. I think of Joseph. 
who encountered setback after setback, thrown into a pit, thrown into prison, put into slavery, lied about, betrayed, cheated on, and then he backed his way right into the throne. And the devil looked up one day going, uh-oh, this is not what I planned. This is not what I counted on. I've been duped. I've been tricked. So God sometimes manipulates Satan to do things he doesn't even realize. And yet, sometimes we see that and understand that ambush. Christmas is one of those times. We see instances in the Bible where there was a surprise. Other times we may see God facing Satan head on like at Mount Carmel when Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. But Christmas is one of those ambushes. Christmas is one of those surprises. Why? Because Micah 5 and 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now Satan can read. He knew, Micah 5 and 2, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But what he did not know was the timing of the Savior's birth. So, in another of his endless efforts to stop the purposes of God, Satan pulled in demons from around the world to concentrate on the Holy Land, specifically around Bethlehem. That's one of the reasons, if you think about it, for the innumerable cases of demon possession in the New Testament. He knew something was up. He had a clue because he knew what the Word of God says. The demons practically outnumbered the citizens. They served as Satan's spies and were charged with keeping an eye out for godly young couples about to have babies. Satan was lying in wait for the Messiah. The first thing God did was to choose a man and a woman not from Bethlehem, but from Nazareth, far to the north. Secondly, he saw to it that this woman's purity and morality would be doubted. The devil can count. He knows it takes nine months to have a baby. He had no way of knowing of Gabriel's visits to Mary and Joseph, nor of the miraculous conception of this baby. If he had heard at all of this young Nazarene couple, he quickly discounted them. Certainly the holy God that he remembered from heaven would never use such obvious sinners for such a sacred role. And the surprise is formulating. The third thing God did was to arrange to move Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem in time for the birth. But not as to draw attention to themselves. For when Caesar Augustus put out a call for a census of the empire, it was God that put it in his heart. Proverbs 21 and 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithsoever he will. Mary and Joseph were among thousands returning to their ancestral homes for the census. This was not circumstance. This was not happenstance. This wasn't just a, a bunch of random things falling into place. This was literally orchestrated by God. Perhaps the roads experienced a primitive form of traffic jam or gridlock. And the Bethlehem inns and places to stay and available homes were all filled up. And this young couple, Mary and Joseph, took the only thing offered, a stable. Luke 2 and 7 says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Not a prominent place. Not a place that people would be looking. Not a place that everybody knew about. 
but tucked away in a corner was a very common man and a common woman that nobody knew about, didn't come from prestige, didn't come from family members of esteem or renown. And yet here they were, tucked away in the corner of a stable, laying this what seemed like an ordinary baby down in a manger. And behind the scenes, like parents uh, in a closed door, wrapping a surprise gift uh, for their children, God uh, was orchestrating uh, the greatest surprise gift uh, the devil had ever seen. Even the devil's imps were extremely vigilant. They would have dismissed this young family camping out in a barn for good reason. The God that Satan remembered from heaven resided in a level of glory unimagined on earth. Now I want you to remember what the devil, what his past, what his past experiences with God would have been. Majestic, heaven, paradise. Satan would be unsure of a lot of things. But one thing he knew, he would never allow a Savior to be born in a barn. And so, he discounted that right out. And God's just rubbing his hands together. <laughs> As this surprise gift is working out perfectly. Doubtless he had told his demons to check the finest homes for the most illustrious surroundings and outstanding parents. But the Lord fooled him. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, was God's great surprise. <laughs> what gift could compare to God's gift to humanity? What gift have you received no matter how great, could really compare to God's gift to humanity. I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, the Hanging Gardens, Taj Mahal, the greatest carrot diamond in the world, the Statue of Liberty, they pale in comparison. It's like a Dollar Tree gift compared to the greatest gift that has ever been given to humanity when God manifested, robed, placed himself in flesh, came down to earth in a manger, in a lowly stable, right under the devil's nose and provided a way of escape for you and me and everybody on this planet. What gift could compare to the gift God gave humanity? If the size of the gift is an indicator of the love of the giver, how much does God love you? If you want to take a, a peek at the gift and say, Oh man, look what they gave them. They must love them. They must care about them. Oh, the sacrifice, the time, the effort, and the energy that went in to them giving that gift. If the size of the gift is an indicator of how much that person loves the one they gave it to. Brother and sister, can I tell you, you can never doubt the love of God again. You can never, ever say that God doesn't love you. He gave you the greatest gift humanity has ever seen. He robed himself in flesh and he walked on this earth and he died a horrible, cruel death so that you could be saved. Our gift was salvation. God's great surprise was not just a cute baby in a manger. That was the beginning. That was the starting point. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today, Christmas is not just about a baby in a manger. It's not just about decorations and Christmas trees. You need to understand that baby grew up. That baby performed miracles. That baby was a teacher. That baby was God incarnate. That baby died on a cross. That baby walked out of a tomb. That baby today is not just a baby in a manger anymore. It's your salvation. That baby was without sin. 
baby was born of the Holy Ghost. And because of that, that baby was the only one that could be sacrificed for your sins. The spotless lamb. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate forgiveness. We celebrate a second chance. We celebrate a clean slate. We celebrate starting over. We celebrate moving on from mistakes. We celebrate a new year, a new destiny, a new season. That's what Christmas is all about. Your salvation and the devil's demise all in that manger. That's why Paul said, thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. (laughs) Have you ever received a gift so good you didn't even know how to describe it? You didn't want to post it because you didn't want everybody to get jealous. Well, you know what they're going to say. You know they're going to say we were spending above our means. Right? We'll just keep this one to ourselves. I want to tell you today, God's unspeakable gift is that good, but the last thing you want to do is keep it secret. Because you didn't earn it, you didn't do anything worthy of it, but He chose to give you the greatest gift you have ever received. And the biggest mistake you can make is not telling somebody about it. I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it, I didn't do anything I should receive it, but can I tell you, I got the greatest gift that anyone has ever received. God was born and died for me. That's why 1 Corinthians 1 and 27 says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It was God's surprise gift. Surprise! That little baby in the manger is going to be your demise. Surprise, devil! Out of nowhere, tucked away in a stable somewhere with smelly animals, comes forth the Savior of the world, the Jehovah, the Messiah, the Emmanuel, God with us. In the Old Testament, they saw God above us. Muslims see God over us. You know what the baby in the manger was? God with us. Not lording over us, not judging over us, not understanding us, not being able to do anything for us. But it was God robing himself in flesh, walking among us, feeling our pain, experiencing our temptation, going through the things that we go through, and then ultimately laying his life down so he could fill you with his spirit and you could spend eternity with him. Emmanuel, God with us. In that manger was God with us. The greatest gift to confound the things which are mighty. This is a basic lesson of spiritual warfare which historically, which we see over and over again, Satan seems incapable of really understanding. To this day, no carnal mind believes it. Something so simple yet so powerful, something seemingly so ordinary, yet so extraordinary, so natural, yet so supernatural. Such a natural thing, a baby, and yet so supernatural. In this place, Bethlehem, the birth of one who would come to meet all of our hopes, Psalm says, be of courage, all you that hope in the Lord. Corinthians says, in this life only we have hope in Christ. Without it, we are all men most miserable. When that baby was born, that great surprise was hope. Hope for when you're in a dilemma. Hope when you're in desperation. Hope when you're in despondency. Hope even if you're a derelict. Hope even if you're a destitute. But yet, hope even if you're a doctor. Hope for all mankind. Hope for everybody. You can trust Bethlehem's child. Jesus was born in a hopeful age. Each Jew longed for the Messiah. Each expectant mother believed that her unborn child would be the one to free the people. In 1809, Napoleon raged across Europe 
Blood flowed deeply. It seemed like nothing could stop Napoleon's rampage. Soon, followed by diseases and epidemics, the average life expectancy of an adult in 1809 was under 40 years old. Who would save them? That same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to a lowly minister and his wife. His words would hear. That year, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born. His judicial mind would change the world. That same year, in a dirt-floored cabin in Kentucky, a baby boy named Abraham Lincoln would single-handedly give rebirth to a land of freedom. Writers said that the destiny of the world was shaped on the European battlefields, but they were wrong. The destiny of the world was found in a cradle in Bethlehem. He brought hope. He brought hope. If our greatest need had been information, he would have given us an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, he would have given us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have given us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have given us an entertainer. But our greatest need is forgiveness and hope. And so he gave us a Savior. And that is the greatest gift any of us have ever received. When Jesus was born, God prepared a welcoming committee of the lowliest people on the planet. It wasn't a parade downtown. It didn't want to be that obvious. Primarily to reassure the young parents that all was well. Satan had no way of seeing the angels that appeared to these sheep herders that night or hearing their clues on how to identify the baby. Luke 2 and 12, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. No one noticed, no one cared about this small company of ragtag shepherds running breathlessly through the village looking for a stable. Later, after Joseph had moved his little family into the house in Bethlehem, a delegation of foreign visitors arrived and These magi from the east created no small stir in Jerusalem, and they naively announced their search for the one, quote, born king of the Jews. Now, that's the kind of tension that you don't need. Matthew 2 and 2 saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? That's when the wrapping paper, Pastor Ogden gets tore a little bit, and they go, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) I think I might know what this is king of the Jews for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him from the gifts they presented him Joseph was able to finance a sudden trip to Egypt it was made necessary when murderous King Herod sent soldiers on a search and destroy mission for the babies of Bethlehem the surprise was starting to be seen Satan would have fumed to learn that the object of his wrath was already out of town, slowly making their way towards Egypt, where they would remain until Herod's death. And when the Holy Family re-entered the country, they moved to Nazareth, where Joseph opened his carpentry shop, and Satan had lost Jesus. (laughs) He's just a carpenter's son. He's nobody. He's just in there tinkering with wood. He's nobody. And Satan had lost Jesus. Jesus grew up with a normal Jewish childhood in Nazareth. He was not Superboy from Smallville, amazing the hometown folks with miracles-inspired teaching. Had he done that, Satan would have heard the talk about this boy wonder, and the surprise would have been unveiled. The first the devil learned of Jesus' real identity was the day the Lord stepped into the waters of the Jordan, waited to John the Baptist, nudged by the Holy Spirit. John called out the words that let everyone know that Jesus from Nazareth was the Messiah. When the wrapping paper came off in John 1 and 29, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away 
the sins of the world. It was like Christmas morning and the devil saw the wrapping paper come off and he thought, oh no, that's that carpenter's son. That's that baby that was in a manger in a lowly stable. How did I not see it? How did I not comprehend it? John said, behold, the Lamb of God which take away the sin of the world. Jesus' baptism was the inauguration of his ministry. The gloves were off. The wrapping paper was off. Jesus was saying, here I am, devil, do your worst. I'm ready. The game was afoot. The battle was joined, and it came to a head one day about three years later on a hill outside Jerusalem, and we know the rest of the story. (laughs) For a couple of days, Satan reveled in his victory. And then on that first Easter Sunday morning, The resurrection was yet another surprise gift to the entire world. Do you know the devil can't predict what you're going to do next either? I said all that to say this. He has no idea what you're going to do next. He doesn't have a clue what your thoughts are. God can read your thoughts, but the devil cannot. It's important you understand his limitations. It's important you understand what he cannot do. He doesn't have the ability to read your thoughts. He doesn't have the ability to know what you're going to do next. All he can do is rely on what he can figure out from what you've done in the past. I know what they have done. I know what they're historically going to do. I know what temptations they've yielded to in the past. I know the mistakes they have made in the past, the feelings they have expressed. I know the limits they have imposed on themselves, the decisions they have made. And he assumes you're never going to change. But he sometimes forget about the greatest gift sometimes forgets about God's great surprise that gives me the opportunity on a Sunday morning in the middle of the Christmas season to say you know what I think I'm going to go back to that gift that was given is there anything better than finding a Christmas gift you forgot you had you ever gone into your closet and was cleaning out your closet cleaning out the garage and you found something that you got two or three years ago and you forgot you even had it it was like Christmas all over again you're like I forgot about this I need to remind somebody today God gave you a second chance God gave you forgiveness God gave you a clean slate God gave you the ability to be who you want to be not what the devil thinks you are not what you've done in the past not the mistakes you've made in the past God gave you a gift that says I can serve God I can do what's right I can be a faithful father I can be a prayer warrior I can be a mighty woman of God I can see victory I can see joy I can have peace Stand with me. I want you to go back into the back part of your heart in that old dusty closet you forgot about and open up a gift that you've had for a long time but you forgot about. I'm preaching to people today who have carried guilt and shame and heartache all year long. And the devil's been hiding this gift from you. He's been pushing it out of your mind. He's been trying to keep you consumed about paying bills and living life and stress and anxiety. He don't want you to see. He don't want you to be reminded you don't have to carry guilt. You don't have to carry shame. You don't have to have the life that you've been living. God purchased you peace and hope. God purchased you a second chance. Heads bowed and eyes closed today. I know it's Christmas. 
I know we're supposed to be talking about Santa Claus and giving gifts and Christmas trees, but I'm telling you, you've wasted this holiday if you don't take advantage of the greatest gift you've ever received. What a tragedy to leave repentance wrapped up under the tree of formality. What a tragedy to walk out of here carrying something that God purchased for you a long time ago. He said, I'll take that. I'll take the shame. I'll take the sin. I'll take the heartache. I'll take the mistakes for you to walk out of here carrying something that God purchased away from you would be a tragedy. It'd be like having the greatest Christmas gift you've ever given and never opening it up. The gift of a lifetime, a generational gift, the kind of gift people would die for, the kind of gift people spend millions of dollars trying to obtain. Hollywood stars, athletes, multimillionaires, they try to buy what God has already bought for you. All you got to do is open it up. All you got to do is take it home today. <laughs> All you got to do is step to an altar and say, God, I surrender myself to you. I repent of things I've been carrying around I shouldn't be carrying around. I lay things down at this altar that I've been carrying for too long. And I want this Christmas season and the start of the new year to be something new in my life. And I can't start something new if I'm still carrying around what's old. I can't start a new destiny and a new life. I can't walk a new path if I'm still letting the devil haunt me and trap me into past mistakes. And so if you're here today, and I feel this in the Holy Ghost, you say, Pastor, <laughs> I want that gift. I want that gift of forgiveness. I want that gift of peace and hope and reassurance that God purchased for me. If that's your desire, I open these altars up on this Sunday morning. Step out from where you are at. Walk down to this altar. And the only thing you got to do is claim the gift that God has already purchased for you. Oh, your mercy never fails. Come on, that's it. Step out. Join those that are coming forward right now. Thank you, God, for the greatest gift I have ever received. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. Thank you, God, that I don't have to walk around in shame, guilt. Thank you, God, that you've given me a second chance. Come on, brothers. Come on, sister. God purchased it for you. Don't leave this church without the greatest oh gift you could have ever received. So, so good. Oh, Holy Ghost, release somebody today. Lose somebody today from the shackles of condemnation and let them receive your gift of forgiveness today, Jesus. Holy Ghost, move on a life right now. Speak to somebody right now. Struggling soul. Battling spirit right now. Let God bring you victory. Let God bring you peace. He bought it for you. He purchased your healing. He purchased your salvation. He's got a place prepared for you. Leave this sanctuary without it. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so. All my life you have been so, so good. He's been good to you. Every breath that I am made. Somebody pray a prayer of repentance right now. Forgive me, God. Loose me from this today. Oh, take from me this shame. Take from me this guilt today, Lord. Create in me a clean heart and a right spirit in thine eyes, oh God. 
Grant me a clear conscience today. You can have it with repentance. Let the thankful and grateful say, If you've been a recipient, lift up your voice and say, All my life you have been so.